Good morning, church. Well, here we are essentially for what is part two of the message that I gave a couple of weeks ago. Uh, If you weren't here or perhaps are new, we're going through the book of Ephesians, and we've kind of reached the real practical part of Ephesians. We've been looking at what does it mean now in our everyday lives that we've come to believe, after we've come to believe this gospel. How should we actually live And last time we saw that it was actually rooted in our identity, that our old self had gone and our new self had come. And that's actually going to be pivotal to what we talk about today. It's going to be so important. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray and then we're going to quickly recap what we spoke about last time and then we're going to get straight into this passage. Because today, church, we're going to do a little bit of self-analyzation, both as individuals and as a community. And so let's pray now that God will speak. Heavenly Father, uh, we just come to you now and ask, Lord, that you use this time. Use this time to to speak to us and we, we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to expect that, to expect that we will hear from you and be challenged by you. And so, Lord, let us ask these things and pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So like I said, we're going to have to recap what we spoke about last time before we get into it. Because the temptation is today's passage has a lot of commands. This is a whole series of commands. And, and the temptation with a list of do's and don'ts is to, is to make it about just the do's and don'ts. And to forget that the real problems actually come from our hearts. The real problems become in what we believe, come from what we believe. And so what we spoke about last time was that when we believe in Jesus, and not just an intellectual belief where we say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but when we believe that He died for us, and that that turns our life around. When we believe that Jesus, God in the flesh, came and walked on earth, lived a perfect life, the only perfect life that has ever been lived, and then was brutally taken to the cross, mocked and hung on a cross where he absorbed and took on himself our sins, the guilt and the shame that humanity, and all the wrong things humanity had ever done, past, present and future. He took all of these things on himself and he died. He died with those things. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, having conquered sin and death, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That when we believe this, we saw last week something incredible happens. They were actually changed to our very core. And we put up this list last week that we'll get up in a second, and we saw that the old self... These things that were true of us, that we were sinners, that we could not please God, that we were enemies of God, weak, unable to do anything about it. That these things are crucified, dead with Christ. They are not who you are anymore if you believe in Christ here today. And that our new self, this incredible new self has come, and even we don't feel it sometimes, we are holy. As we sit here this morning, we are blameless, we are forgiven, we are sons and daughters of the King, and that is the truth. And so there's two things that we need to do this morning before we even get into this passage of of this list of do's and don'ts. There's two things we need to do. We need to stand firmly in this identity. This morning, you need to know that God is already pleased with you in Christ. 
You need to know that you're not here to win God's favor. And if you're not a believer here, let me say, doing any of these things that I talk about today with the list of do's and don'ts, they are not going to win God's favor for you. Only Christ does that. Only when we look to Jesus on the cross, that's the only thing that makes us right with God. You need to know that. We need to stand in this identity because if we don't, there's one of two ways today will go. Either, if you're anything like me, as you read through this list, you're going to start seeing how you fail in every single one of these commands. You're going to start to see that, man, I'm a, I'm a terrible Christian. I'm not doing a good job of this at all. And then you're going to start to feel guilt and shame and condemnation, and you're going to walk away from here feeling depressed and thinking, well, I just need to try a little bit harder. But you can't let that happen. Don't go the way of condemnation and guilt today because Christ was condemned for you. Christ was guilty for you. Don't go that way. And the other way we'll be tempted to go today is as we read through this list, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm actually doing pretty well in this Christian life. I've got these things under control. And rather than actually taking the time to look honestly at your hearts, you'll start to look around. And you'll think, man, I really hope so-and-so hears this message. I really hope my husband is listening to what's going on here. I really hope my wife hears this message. She needs to hear this. No, no, no. We're all works in progress here. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're all on this journey together. Don't justify yourselves by looking to other people. So let's stand in our identity so we don't go either of these ways. And also we need to remember number two, that we have a high responsibility as God's ambassadors and his people. Because the other danger is that we can take all of this a little too lightly and think, well, we all make mistakes. We all fall short. And yes, that is true, but we also have a very high calling. We represent God to the world. We represent God to the world. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We have a high responsibility, and so we need to take these things seriously. This is serious business. How we live is serious business as God's ambassadors, as his people. And so let's stand firm in our identity, knowing who we are in Christ, but also let's take seriously what he says to us and how we walk. And so having got those things clear in our minds, I'm going to pray one more time and I invite you to pray for yourselves and for me that as we look honestly that God will be able to reveal to us what changes we need to make in our lives to give us the honesty to be able to see that and the humility to be able to say that we actually need to make some changes. And so let's pray and invite you to pray for yourselves as well. Lord, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit this morning um, to help us to have the honesty to look in ourselves and to see where we aren't living up to this new identity, to see where we are in fact dishonoring you. Help us not to go the way of condemnation today or to try and look to others to justify ourselves. Lord, help us to understand the high and holy calling we have to live as your people and ultimately display your very character to the world. 
help us. We need you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so finally, let's get started. We're going to read uh, starting from verse 25 and all the way through to chapter 5, verses, verse 2. So here's what it says. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that we may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God. So you'll see straight away that Paul's just kind of listing off all these commands and all the ways that we should now be living that he's given us this new identity. And there's a lot here. There's a lot here. And we won't actually have time to cover it all. But one thing you'll notice is that all of these commands have to do with living life in the community of believers. I don't think Paul's primarily talking here to how we act outside the church. He's actually talking to us inside the church. How are we acting with one another? And of course, this actually makes sense because we've seen one of the major themes throughout all of Ephesians has been unity. Paul trying to draw this church together, trying to show them they need to be one. And I also think there's no better place to test what we are believing in our hearts than when we do life with other people. I often think I'd be a great Christian if I didn't have to interact with people. If I didn't have to see people, I would be doing really well. But we do. We are a family here and we have to live life with one another and sometimes that can be tough. And so rather than go through every single command here, verse by verse, we're gonna, we're, I'm going to show you that there are three major categories that Paul talks about in this passage. Three major categories. And we're going to go through each one and do some honest evaluation of where we're at. So the first one that we see in this passage is speech. Paul highlights a number of things about speech. And so the first one is verse 25. Have a read of verse 25. Here's what he says. Having put away all falsehood, so the old life that was characterized by lies, let each one of us speak the truth with his neighbor. So Paul calls us to live a life of truth. He calls us to live a life of truth. And I think, if, if we're honest, sometimes with these kind of verses, we can kind of just gloss over them. I mean, we, we know what it means. Don't lie. Tell the truth. But I think if we look at it a bit closely there's a number of different ways that we don't tell the truth. And I want to highlight three quickly. We don't tell the truth often in what we say, what we don't say, and what we display. So what we say, what we don't say, and what we display. And yes, I am a poet. <laughs> Firstly, we don't tell the truth in what we say. 
And I think this is perhaps what we all think when we read this verse. We oftentimes just lie to one another. You know, whether it be about what we did last night, whether it be about why we didn't hand an assignment in on time, whether it be to our children when they ask a question, whether it be to our husbands or wives. Sometimes we just lie. And, you know, it's very easy to just think it's just a lie. It's not that big of a deal. Why does it actually matter? But what we'll see is that when we drill down deeper, there's something going on that's much bigger than that. And we'll get to that in a second. Secondly, we don't tell the truth in what we don't say. And this is perhaps a little less obvious, and if I'm honest, I struggle with this one more than perhaps the other ones, and that's oftentimes that we have this opportunity. We, we see something in our, in our minds that we should say to someone, whether it be an encouragement to walk up to them and say, hey, I really appreciate you, I really love what you're doing, or, or perhaps it's a warning to say to someone, look, because I love you, I think this way is dangerous, that this situation is dangerous for you. But we often don't say it. We hold back. And I think in Paul's situation, perhaps this was at the forefront of his mind, because he's already spoken about earlier in chapter 4, to speak the truth in love. To have the freedom in this community to speak the truth to one another. But we don't often. We hold back. Whether it's because we don't want to be seen as legalists, or whether it's because we don't want to be that weird Christian who always is encouraging people, I don't know. And lastly, we don't tell the truth in what we display. And I think this is a combination of the first two, and in my opinion, it is the most deadly to a church community. It has the highest chance of of tearing down a church community. And this has to do with what we're showing to everyone. Because I, I think oftentimes at church, it's really, even though we all come into this in the same way, sinners saved by grace, recognizing that we have so many things in our life that are unpleasing to God. But oftentimes when we become believers, all of a sudden we start to act like we're better than we really are. We start to put on this, this face that everyone sees that isn't really truly reflecting what's going on in our hearts. We let everyone know that we're okay, but really internally we're struggling. We're struggling. And we all know the example. We all know the people in our lives who have just looked like they're traveling along fine and then all of a sudden their whole lives fall apart, whether it be their marriages, whether it be something else. And I think this is a symptom of a church community who, who, can't, who are too afraid to be honest, to speak the truth in what's really going on in our hearts. Church, we need to be able to be a family here who are not afraid to show the darkness in us sometimes. And I'm not talking about standing up here and and speaking about your sins to everyone. I'm, I'm talking about doing life deeply with those who you already do life with in this church. Are you displaying to everyone this strong life without actually revealing what's going on in here? Without revealing the struggles that you have. You're setting yourself up for disaster. You're setting yourself up to keep drifting away from God while externally displaying to everyone that everything's okay. This is a problem. And, and Paul tells us why, because in verse, end of verse 25, look what it says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
We are a family here, but, but more than that, we are representing God. We are God's Christ's body to the world. So that means when we lie to one another, when we don't tell the truth, whether it be in any of those ways, we're actually damaging ourselves. We're damaging our own cause, our own purpose. We're all here for the same reason. We're all here because we want to see God glorified. And when we don't live in truth, we detract from that. And so we actually need to stop. We need to turn away from these things. And part of this is realizing why we lie. Because I think, again, it's easy to just think they're little lies and they don't mean much. But I want, to, want us to see that before we lie, we first, we first believe a lie. You see, when we refuse, whether it's we refuse to say something to someone because we're afraid of what they'll think, or whether we, we blatantly lie to someone, what's going on in our hearts? But what's going on in our hearts is that we're, is, is that we're believing that our validation, our identity is found in whether people like us or not. We're, we're putting up people's validation of us above what God has said about us. And whether subconsciously or not, we believe that every time we lie, every time we do not speak the truth, we believe that. And this is why no lie is a little lie, because it all flows from a bigger lie that's going on in our hearts, a dangerous lie that if it's not dealt with, will lead us to fall. So church, let us confess this to God. Let us stand firmly in the fact that God has approved of us and He loves us. So we don't need to pretend. We can tell the truth to one another. And so that's the first thing Paul says about speech. The second one that he comes to is in verse 29. Look down at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so Paul kind of moves to our general everyday speech with those around us. And he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The word he uses for corrupting here is actually usually used of, of trees that are producing like bad fruit. They're, they're poisoned. And I think it's a really good image to have in our minds. Now, I've got to be honest. Most of the time when I've heard this verse spoken about, it has to do with Christian swearing and that Christians shouldn't swear. And that's what the corrupting talk is. But I don't actually think that's the purpose of this. Because... Paul highlights the purpose by saying in the second part of the verse that we should only speak that which is good for building up. And so the opposite is not building up. So corrupting talk is to do with anything that is bringing someone down in any way. And, you know, obviously this involves just blatantly speaking bad things to each other. But I think if we're honest here with ourselves, and I hope we can be after that first point, that there's something in our Aussie culture that we need to be really careful of. And that's how, in this Australian culture, we love to bag each other out. Particularly as guys, girls too, we love to bag each other out. And maybe the more modern term, we love a little bit of banter. If, if you're older here, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about how in Australian culture we love to joke about each other. We love to joke about each other. But I've realized only in the past year how, how damaging our words can be. 
I wonder what's changed in my life in the last year. But, but it's the truth. Signa's also from a culture where they don't do this. And so when she comes here, she is often surprised by the way we talk about each other. In fact, one funny story of that I remember is when we went to the doctors and we were just sitting there, I think we had to get some injection, and we were waiting for our turn and, and my regular GP walked past and he saw us and, and he, kind of, he kind of knew that I'd married someone from Europe and so he walked up, introduced himself, said hello, and then the very next words out of his mouth to Signa were, oh, I'm surprised, I thought you would have had a white Labrador next to you. And I kind of look at, look at Signa, she doesn't know what's going on, either do I. And he says, yeah, I thought you would have had a white Labrador with you because you'd have to be blind to have married this guy. <laughs> I, I thought it was a good joke, but, but Signa, Signa internally I can see is just like, how is a professional doctor making jokes about someone's appearance? She's like, what is going on? All I can say is welcome to Australia, because that's what we do. That's what we do. But as much as this is funny, we actually need to be careful. Because one of the dangers is when we make this verse all about swearing, is what we actually do is we can be exactly the same as the world is out there, minus the swear words, but we still bag each other out just as much. We still insult each other, even if that's all to do with a joke. And if we're honest, no one likes to be made fun of. No one likes to be made fun of. And again, if we can be honest, sometimes those jokes are okay. Sometimes they don't affect us, but sometimes they do. Sometimes they hurt. Sometimes on our worst of days, we start to believe that we are a bit of a joke. We start to believe those things. We need to be so careful because we don't know how damaging these things can be. And don't hear me wrong. Don't roll your eyes internally and think, oh, what does that mean? We can't make any jokes. We can't do those things. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we need to be very careful because we need to be a community who builds one another up. In fact, it's so serious that verse 30 highlights that these things grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit who has sealed you for the day of redemption. And I think this is talking about when we speak poorly of one another, it grieves the Spirit within us because He longs for unity. And those things tear it down. This is serious stuff. And so I want to ask some questions to help you discern whether you have a problem with this, if you have a problem with the way you speak. So here's a couple. Does your sarcasm and your putting down of others, even if it's just a joke, outweigh how much you build others up? Like, like how often do you go up to someone and encourage them in your friendship groups or not? How often do you, do you say to them, I appreciate you, I appreciate your friendship, I appreciate who you are? Does your sarcasm far outweigh that? Here's another question. Does, is your sarcasm more often than not directed about people or about other things? Like, I think there's this thing in Aussie culture where we can be proud of it. We can be proud that we're fluent in sarcasm. And, and oftentimes that is at people's expense. Is your sarcasm and your jokes directed towards people more than anything else? 
And uh, the last one, because I think this happens often, is do you have a particular person in your friendship group, whether it be at work or at school or in just your friendship group here at church, who you make fun of often? Who kind of often is the, the brunt of your jokes? I think if any of these things you see in yourself, then there's a problem. There's a problem. Do you have someone you need to apologize to today? Do you have people you need to apologize to today? Do you actually need to change the way that you joke? Do you need to not direct these things at people, direct them elsewhere? And please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying all this Aussie humor has to go. I'm I'm saying we just need to be so careful because it can be so damaging to people. It can tear them down. It can tear them down. So that's speech. Uh, And there's many other areas we could have gone there, but again, for time's sake, we, we just... We just can't cover it all. So the second major category that Paul deals with here is anger. Anger, reading from verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, this is a fairly interesting verse because even though some of your translations might say, in your anger, do not sin, what it's actually saying in the, is it's a command. Be angry, a command, and do not sin. Which is kind of interesting, right? What, what is it saying? And some people have tried to relate this back with speaking the truth and what the anger is, is the anger is towards sin. So be angry at sin. But I think that's trying to force something into the passage that isn't actually there. And, and you see that, I think, by the second part of the verse. It says, do not let the sun go down in your anger. I think the anger here is the problem, not somebody else's sin. And so what does it mean then? What is, is the Bible really commanding me to be angry? Maybe some of you are happy about that. Finally, a verse I can relate to. Well, I think it's not saying that. But I think Paul here is just being honest about life and community. I think Paul is just being honest about life. We all get angry. Who here has gotten angry before? Okay, proven. We all get angry. We all have that emotion. Anger is just an emotion. And whether you've heard this before or not, anger is not a sin. Anger is not a sin. This verse is saying, be angry in the sense that you're going to be angry. People will annoy you. There will be situations that make you angry. But, but... Deal with that quickly. Deal with that anger quickly because this verse highlights that it puts us in a very vulnerable situation. And you see that. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. If we do not deal with that anger quickly, it can lead to all sorts of terrible things. And we see that down in verse 31. Verse 31 gives us kind of the outflow of what our anger can produce. Here's what it says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So this verse kind of just describes some of the actions that I think outflow from anger that not is, is not dealt with quickly. And this includes just outbursts of anger to other things. But I, I just want to highlight one, because again, we don't have time to look at them all. But I want to highlight one that I think is particularly devastating, and probably the easiest to justify within ourselves, and that is bitterness. Let all bitterness be put away from you. 
What is bitterness? Bitterness is when we get annoyed with someone or something because it's either not the way we think they should act or not like what we, the decision we would have made and we kind of just let that build within us. We kind of just let that build and then we start to see a few more things. And, and I think, to be honest, as Christians, we can struggle with this most with how we view our church, how we function as a church. You know, bitterness can start with something as simple as, man, the music was terrible this week. Why, why aren't they playing the old hymns? Or it could be, the music was terrible this week. I can't believe they're still playing the old hymns. It could be, why is church not changing? We don't live 100 years ago anymore. Or, or why is the church changing so much? The church should never change. But if these things sit in us and we don't deal with them, it, it builds. And then we, we begin to realize a few other things we don't like. You know, I, I don't really like that speaker. I don't really like the way that event's being run. I don't really like how the church is doing this, and that builds, and it builds. And then before we know it, whenever we walk into church, we see all the negatives. We become critical, and we see all the negative things that would be different if I was in leadership. And that's when we know that the evil one is winning the war in our hearts. Because we've let that bitterness build and build and build. And we do the same with people. If we're honest, there's people who annoy us. They do something that annoys us. And we let that build. And then we start to see all the other things that that person does that annoy us. And we let that build. And then we start talking about them behind their backs. And then we start excluding them from the group that we're a part of. And it builds. And the evil one has taken a hold of our hearts. This is so, so dangerous. So dangerous. We must turn away from these things. Has bitterness got a hold of your heart? Do you so often just see the negatives in people and in the church? We must confess these things to God. And remember who you are. Confess them to God because these things display a heart that is filled with pride in all honesty that, that our way is the best way. The people should be like us. But God in Jesus showed that our way was the worst way. He showed that we had no right to say that because he only knew what was best and that was Christ. And so confess these things to God. Come to him. Don't go the way of condemnation. Don't look around. Confess these things to God and turn away from them. And finally, the last major thing here that Paul mentions, the last major category that he mentions is theft. Theft. Looking at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, now, we don't have long to stay with this one because of time. But again, I think it's another easy command to just gloss over. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but when I read this verse, I just think, well, I haven't robbed anyone lately, so maybe this isn't the command for me. But, but the word Paul uses here for theft is actually a word that means what is done in secret. What is done without anybody seeing behind closed doors. 
And again, I think this is something that can reveal a bigger problem in our hearts, whether it be, in today's world, not declaring our taxes correctly. You know, the government's corrupt anyway, so why would I do that? Maybe it's adding a little bit of extra time onto our worksheets. You know, I almost worked that long. It was close enough. Maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not paying back people you said you would pay back. Maybe it's not paying the church back the things that you said you would pay back. Maybe it's something different. I think you can discern in your heart some of the things that this could mean. But again, this is a big problem because, again, it reveals a lie in our hearts. As we said, all of this comes back to our identity. This reveals the lie that we're believing that we don't have a Father who's promised to provide. Our Father says, I will provide for you. And when we do these sorts of behaviors, we're saying to God, I don't believe you. I need to do this myself. I, I don't believe you can provide. I need to do these kind of means to provide for me just in case. And it's a damaging lie, and it will lead to more things, more symptoms if we believe that lie. Again, we need to confess this, not just the action. We need to confess what we are believing in our hearts. God will provide for us. He is our Father. So turn away from these things. And so, so they're kind of the, the major things this passage talks about. Speaking the truth, building others up, anger, bitterness, And then theft. And there's so many other places we could go, but I think that's probably enough from this passage that we can see areas in our lives where we need to change. But the thing is, we can't end here, not only because I have extra verses given to me, but also because I think Paul leaves the most important bit for the end here. I think Paul sums up everything that he's been saying since way back in verse 17 last week that we began with that in these couple of commands here at the end. And if we're going to apply these things, if we're going to walk in these ways as a Christian community, we need to hear what Paul says at the end here. So we're going to read these last few verses, verse 32, and then we'll go to chapter 5, reading verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Paul here is, in, is kind of drawing all of this together. And so I think what we need to remember here to actually apply these things, to make go beyond just these commands, is to see that it all starts and ends with Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. So I want to finish with three, three ways, three things we need to be reminded of if we're actually going to change these things in our lives. Because I think one of the things that can happen if we don't drill down to what what we need to see is that we can make changes in our life and we do them for a few days and then they just fall away. They just fall away. And so three things we need to recognize is we must recognize our identity as beloved children and that all our actions flow from this. 
And this was last week. We spoke about this, but Paul, can you see here, he began with, with putting off the old self and putting on the new self, identity, and now he's finished with identity because it says, imitate God as what? As beloved children. We need to understand that we are God's beloved children. And this should shape everything. That just as God said to Jesus, you are my beloved son, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, he has said that about you. He has said that about you. And we must recognize that what this actually does is it changes everything to do with how we see these commands. Changes everything with how we see these commands. Because these commands come from a father who actually wants us to thrive. He actually wants us to thrive in this life. These don't come from a God who just likes to make rules for the sake of making rules. You know, God doesn't say, don't get drunk just because he thinks that might be a nice idea. He doesn't say, don't have sex before marriage because he just thinks that would be good. He doesn't say, don't pr- don't pray for your enemies, pray for your enemies and do good to those who hurt us just because he wants to. He doesn't tell us to get rid of all bitterness and lies and untruth just because he can. All of these things come from a father who knows the best way for us to live. Why do you give your children rules? We give them rules to protect them, to give them the most joy, not to hold them back from that. And all these things that God tells us to do come from the heart of a father who knows how to live life. He knows the best way to live life. Psalm 16:11 says, "In your presence there is fullness of joy." At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And John 10.10 says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The abundant life is the one who realizes that God is giving us the best way to live. He's giving these commands to children whom he loves deeply. Whom he loves deeply. So, So don't see these commands as burdensome. Don't see them as burdensome. See them as coming from a heart of a father who loves. So we need to stand firm in this identity. Number two, and this is very important to what Paul says, is we need to imitate God. Imitate God as our father, centering upon what he did for us in Christ. Notice here how how when he says imitate God, he doesn't just say imitate God. He links both of these statements with what Christ has done. So, so look at that, verse 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, centered upon what God has done through Christ. And then verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, following on from this, Therefore be imitators of God, the God who sent Christ in his mercy and forgave your sins, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Can you, can you see? It's all centered upon what God has done in Christ. And so Paul is saying, look, look I want you to first look here. See all that God has done for you. And all that that means for your life, that you'll have this new identity that is so precious. And then he says, do that for others. And then he says, live like that for others. Live like that for others. Do for each other what God has done for you in Christ. Look at what he's done, all that means, and then keep looking and live in the same way. We need to get our eyes upon 
who God is and what He's done for us in Christ. And, and church, this is why Scripture is so important. We don't read Scripture to just get a bunch of rules to follow. We read Scripture because it points us to God's work in Christ. The whole Old Testament, even though we can often get caught in all the, the messiness of it, the whole Old Testament is pointing forward to what God has done for us in Christ. It's always pointing forward to that. And the New Testament is always pointing back to what God has done for us in Christ. We must be looking at this. We must be constantly gazing at God's work in the cross. Because if we don't, the danger we fall into is we start to imitate a God that we've made up in our own minds. Like, example from my life, I'm a rule follower. I've told you this before. I like rules. I I struggle with this passage because I see a bunch of commands. I see how I'm failing. And I can get this image of God that he's kind of just tapping his foot, waiting for me to fall down and fail. That he's just constantly disappointed with me. And if I don't spot this, then I start to imitate that God. And I start to be super critical of those around me. I start to look at others like, oh, look what they're doing. I start to be judgmental because I'm imitating this God that I've made in my mind that's not the true God. And so I need to get my eyes back and see, God sent Christ. He loves us that much. Maybe for you it's something else. Maybe for you, you're imitating a God who doesn't act, isn't actually serious about sin. Maybe you're imitating a God who, who kind of doesn't mind how we really live our lives. He's all about love at the expense of His holiness. Maybe you're imitating a God who doesn't actually want you to change your life. He'd rather you do what makes you happy. And if we get this in our mind, we start to live like that. But, but if we look at what God did for us in Christ, yes, we see His wonderful love for us in Jesus, but also we see how serious and damaging sin is because it puts Jesus on the cross. He dies for us. Sin is serious. We need to run from it. So we need to get our eyes on Jesus. We need to get our eyes on Jesus. We need to imitate God and what He's done for us in Christ. We need to imitate God and what He's done for us in Christ. Church, in every action we take, in our everyday lives, as Christians, we either imitate God and what He has done for us in Jesus, or we detract from that gospel and imitate a false God. In every action we take, we're either doing one of those two things. We must get our eyes onto God. We must constantly be looking at Scripture, whatever you need to do to get that before you. You know, it becomes, really, it becomes really hard to walk in these things we were talking about if your eyes are on God in Christ Jesus. Like, like, it's really hard to feel bitterness towards someone when you realize that if God had stored up bitterness against us, we wouldn't be here. If God had stored up bitterness against us, we would not even be sitting here. And trust me, He had better reasons than you do to store up bitterness. But He didn't. He sent Christ. It becomes really hard to to hold that against people when we see that he held back nothing from us and gave us Christ. It becomes really hard to speak poorly against our brothers and sisters in Christ when we realize that Jesus hanging there after being beaten and mocked and put on that cross by the soldiers, he says to them what? Father, forgive them 
forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. How can we say poor words to each other when we have an example such as this? It becomes really hard to steal and take advantage of one another. It becomes really hard to steal when we realize that Jesus gave us this, God gave us this incredible gift in Jesus. How could we try to take things from others? I mean, God gave it all for us. We need to get our eyes on God in Christ and what he has done. The only way these commands will stick, the only way when we go away from here and these commands will stick is if we continually are getting our eyes onto what God has done for us. Church family, our lives must be modeled after God. And so, do you have bitterness that's crept in your heart? Do you have lies and untruth that need to be dealt with? Do you have things in your heart that you need to bring before God? And so my last point here is we need to act. We need to act. The worst thing that could happen from this is we go home and make no changes in our lives. We need to act. Keeping firm in our mind what God has done for us, but also looking to how he's acted. Our whole purpose as Christians is to live in the same way that God has acted towards us in Christ Jesus to those around us. That's our whole purpose. Let this transform you. Rooted in our identity, rooted in God and what he has done, and doing our utmost to make the changes that glorify him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you now and, and just confess that this passage convicts me um, because often I, I say things that I shouldn't. Oftentimes I know that I let anger build, cause bitterness within me. There are times when I just, yeah, make those mistakes. Lord, Lord I pray that you'll help each one of us to see those things within ourselves to recognize that we can freely take them to you, knowing that we are beloved children, that we can deal with these things before you, that, that we can get our eyes onto how you treated us in sending Christ. That is so amazing, Lord. Let our eyes be on this in every single day so that whatever we do, we're thinking, is this reflecting you? Is this really reflecting the true God of the Bible who is so loving that he sent Christ, yet so serious about sin that Christ died for us? Lord, help us. Help us to make the changes that need to be made. Help us to do this by the power of your Spirit. And help us here at Canterbury Guns to be a community who loves each other well, who walks in these truths and takes seriously these truths for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name.